our second reading is from the book of 1 John, chapters 2 and 3. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should, not, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The word of the Lord. Good morning again. Let's pray. Dear God, we do come and just present ourselves to you. We thank you again for the privilege it is to gather, for the gift it is to know your mercies anew every morning, for the chance to be together and know we're not alone, and the chance to sit with you and say we need help and wisdom and direction and discernment and encouragement. We know that you alone can provide all those. You know each of us here as we gather. And so we offer each other to you and pray you won't just speak to us, but you'd speak for the people around us. And for sure as well to the kids who just left. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, again, I'm Dean Miller and on staff here as well, like Corky. And before we jump into the sermon this morning, I just want to extend a robust thank you really all the time to all the volunteers who help make our church a family and a place where God's at work. We can't do anything. All the things you see up here, the music, the communion table, um, the setup, the takedown is done by mostly volunteers, like 98% volunteers. And we're so thankful for each of you. And we particularly, this morning, I'm thankful for a couple things. One, all the people who helped make Camp Chainbridge happen this past week, our outreach to the community here. Um, thank you to, especially to all of you who came all the way from South America, so many of you to be a part of that. But it's a huge gift. And also thank you um, to those of you, many of you cooked, drove, grilled. I, um, I wish you all could have been here to see the men getting soaked as the, the, the lone downpour of like 72 hours opened up over the grill as we got ready to eat on Friday night. There were about six men who literally stood under a soaking downpour for about an hour cooking burgers and hot dogs for people. So it's a huge gift. And I also wanted to thank, particularly this morning, um, you know, the, the unsung hero on Sunday, the sound team, right? The audio team, because the, they got slides. And if you've ever done slides, you know, one, there's always a slide that some, like, spirit-led worship leaders, God bless Emily, it's going to go back, add a song, put in some Spanish words, 
And there's always going to be people in the crowd who are like, oh, the slides, right? Because, but if you've ever done it, it's stressful. So just thank you for navigating the slides. We had a couple different curves this morning. Okay, now, 1 John 3. I want you to take a second and think about if I was going to ask you what you know of Colombia, the country Colombia. Okay, not Chile. Sorry, we're, sadly we're not jumping off from Chile. But Colombia, if you were going to make a list of things you knew about Colombia, I bet these are some of the things you might highlight, or particularly if you're Colombian, this would be a, sort of a core part of your identity. This is what it means for me to be Colombian. First, your soccer team, because they have a great soccer team. They farm people out all over the world. Of course, your coffee. Most of us growing up with commercials about Juan Valdez, some mythic guy who grew coffee in the mountains of Colombia. Colombia is the largest producer of emeralds in the world. Who knew that? They have astounding geography, so they have beaches and the Amazon and the Andes Mountains. If you look online, you'll see that a website there, a travel website says the Colombians throw the greatest parties in the world, which for me is a vote for a parish retreat maybe somewhere that we go down and check. That sounds pretty great. But it's not a country where if I asked you what's their identity that any of you would say Colombians are known for raising hippopotamus. Anybody here think Colombia is a place where you'd go find a hippo? But if you do any reading or you go home and search the word Colombia, inevitably, shortly down in your Google list will be articles about hippos in Colombia. And this is, my family could tell you, this is one of my favorite stories because it just keeps coming back and it came back this week. So a few years ago, a neighbor friend of ours who was doing some State Department work down in Colombia told me the story of the, the drug kingpin Pablo Escobar in the 80s with all the extra money he had, decided he was gonna build a zoo in Colombia. And so he began to import animals that were not native to Colombia. Elephants, rhinoceros, kangaroos, and hippopotamuses that he would build in, put in his own zoo. He had a 70,000 acre estate in the 80s and he put these all in his own zoo. Okay, and so then over time, of course, they began to grow and people would play in the zoo. But then he, of course, was, uh, was pursued and tried and died in a gunfight with the Colombian National Police in 1993. And suddenly the state of Colombia is left with a zoo of elephants and kangaroos, rhinoceroses, and hippopotamuses. And it turns out, if you have those animals, people love your elephants and your rhinoceroses and your kangaroos. Other zoos around the world will take those animals. But if you own a hippo, they don't want your hippo. Because hippos, Frank, are huge. Right? They get up to 7,000 pounds, and they're angry. They don't like people. There's all kinds of stories of them being aggressive with people. And so the, the community that was tasked with doing something with these animals after Escobar died got rid of lots of the animals, and there are about two dozen. Start out with four in the 80s or about two dozen in the early 90s. And they thought, we're going to leave these in the zoo while we figure out what to do. Because how bad can it be? What's the harm? Because Escobar decided he wasn't just a drug lord. He identified not just as a drug lord, but as a zookeeper. So he made some really interesting decisions out of that identity. Now, over time, the hippos do what hippos do. They, they terrorize the land. They take over. They don't care about your feelings. And so farmers began to call the national government and go, hey, my farm has been overrun by hippopotamuses. The government began to wonder, okay, what can I do? And about 2008, 2009 was the first sort of death of one. They decided they needed to kill one because it was starting to really get angry with a particular set 
of farmers. And then these articles began to pop up. Okay, in 2006, a male and a female left this posse of animals at the zoo of Escobar and moved about 65 miles left to another tropical valley. And they began to do what male and female hippos do. Make more hippos. And if you go back through and start to track these articles, so I heard about this from this friend, just had an interest in the back of my mind, and I like to read the British paper, The Guardian, a lot of days, and The Guardian began to write articles about what are now called affectionately the cocaine hippos almost every few months. So if you go and search this afternoon, The Guardian, from March of 2020 till now, there have been 11 articles about the cocaine hippos, about the trouble they are, an article on the guy who's supposed to sterilize them and what a futile exercise that is, how scared he is. And then, <laughs> yeah, that, if you go terrible jobs, that's right at the top. Because Escobar thought, how bad can it be? And then the government thought, how bad can it be? We're just gonna leave the hippos alone. Well, now they did a survey in the spring. They think there could be anywhere from 150 to 200 hippos. And they've realized that if you, the hippos aren't you know, confronted, they're gonna make more hippos. And they're not indigenous. They're terrorizing. They're destructive. They're taking it. They're actually destroying the ecosystem of this, the country of Colombia. These inadvertent hippos. This is one of my favorite quotes. And one of the articles, some, the journalist said this, they are almost certainly the only hippos living wild in South America. Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe bet. <laughs> so this past week, last week or two, they came out with a, a, a number and it'll cost them 300, or excuse me, three and a half million dollars to cull the herd of hippos in Colombia. And if, because if they don't, they think there'll be 1,400 hippos by 2034. Hippos, how bad can it be? Four little hippos, so cute probably when they came over. Like this little babies running around. If you've seen the little baby pygmy hippos at the, at the zoo. But again, ecologists now have warned that if they're not cold, they're going to destroy the entire ecosystem of these tropical valleys where they've landed. Somebody decided they were a zookeeper, that their identity was a zookeeper, and made a terrible set of decisions with super destructive consequences. And this morning, again, we're in 1 John. And what we're going to see John is doing, this mature apostle John, late 90s AD, the disciple Jesus loved, about 60 years after he's with Jesus, he is writing a letter to all these churches in Asia Minor, and he's telling them, you have let hippos into your churches. They're little baby hippos. They look cute. These heresies, these things your leaders have brought in that you think are not that big a deal, they're sort of appealing, and they're gonna make us more knowledgeable. The neighbors will come and wanna see our heresies. It'll be great. We'll have our own little zoo for the heresies. How bad can it be? And what John is saying is, it's terrible. It's, again, invasive. And many of us in these churches might be thinking, well, what harm, again, just to review some of the heresies, what harm could it be if we believe Jesus was just a phantom or just a man and not fully the Son of God or fully Son of Man? I mean, we'd still respect Jesus, right? He's, you know, a good guy. What harm could it bring if creation was seen as sort of this unimportant, dirty muck that's almost an accident? made by a demigod, not by a God who cared about us and had concern for us? What harm could it bring if apparently there's some kind of special knowledge for the real Christians that only a few of us know? And if we know that knowledge, apparently we don't even sin anymore, so we don't even need to worry about that anymore. And gosh, John, could you blame us if we let in this little hippo, like I have this special knowledge and you don't, so I look down on you a little bit. I mean, that's sort of human nature, right? How bad can it be? It's almost cute, right? Like a little baby hippo. 
And John the Apostle, again, who's left all to follow Jesus, who's really now the, a proto-bishop, one of the first bishops in Turkey, is writing to let us know, no, 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 no. John's gonna guard the yard from hippos. No hippos, no heresies in our young churches. Because again, these heresies are destructive and invasive. What we heard last week is they're acti- actually anti-Christ. Those thoughts, those heresies we get when we believe or, or wanna be tempted to say Jesus wasn't fully God and fully man. So John has written us this song. Again, we called this letter more a song than a legal argument because he's got choruses he's returning to. And this morning he's gonna return to two of the primary choruses he's been singing. He's gonna ground our most foundational reality, ground our identity in the most fundamental part of who God is and God's love for us. And then he's gonna say, in light of that reality, go and live. You're not a zookeeper but you're a child of the living God. So I'm gonna focus on two things, two ways John is trying to guard the yard to protect hippos from rampaging through the farmland of your and my life. So first, John, on behalf of Jesus in these verses, is reminding us again, is telling us, you are God's beloved children. You are God's beloved children. I just wanna sit there for a few minutes. That is, in fact, the fundamental identity of who you are if you are a follower of Jesus. It's the most important thing about your life. Every time you wake up in the morning, every time you go to bed at night, and every hour and minute in between. This, as I said at the beginning of the service, is the astounding news of our service. It's a reminder, it's a song we sing every week that's called the gospel. You are a beloved child of God that God sent his son to die for. This is what makes being a Christian different. Before we identify as any sort of person or any sort of skill set or who we are, we are actually identified as somebody, a child of the living God. So I'd ask you just to think for a second. Again, if you're here and you've given your life to Jesus, how deeply in your bones do you know you are God's son or daughter this morning? Do you know it in those dark corners that none of us know about? about what you think or read or consider, what you've done or have done or might do or tempted to do? Do you know that deep rooting of your identity in your pain or your grief or your anxiety or depression? Do you know it in those places of insecurity where you want affirmation and approval? Where you're desperate to know you're valued and affirmed and championed? Do you know what in those places, those questions we all have, those voices we hear that say, I'm not a good enough friend. I'm not a good enough brother or sister. I'm not a good enough parent or spouse or teacher or accountant or baker, banker or real estate agent. I don't like where I am in my life. I have doubts about God. My past holds me back. I have habits I'm ashamed of. All the people receiving this letter from John all around Asia Minor had those same feelings and questions. And he's singing the song over them again and again. Because you know what those thoughts are? I think by now you do. They're hippos. Invasive, heretical hippos looking to destroy your life. They might grow, they might multiply, they might destroy. But it's not who you are. John is saying you're God's beloved children. He's received it from Jesus and bringing it to you on Jesus' behalf. It's, Jesus is bringing us 
because that's how God made you and sees you. This is the word John uses, agapatoi. You can see the root agape, love, in that word. And what it means is beloved ones. That's you. You can hear it in the Zephaniah passage we read. The Lord your God is in your midst and he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I wonder if this morning when you looked in the mirror, you looked at that person and said, God is rejoicing over you with gladness. Because he is. You are close to God's heart. What if we had t-shirts? Agatapoi, beloved ones down the back, CCV. And that's how we went into the city. This is who we are. God's beloved ones. This is in contrast, again, to the heresies they're receiving, which say God doesn't care about the world. God's removed and above. God's not involved in the day-to-day life that you and I live. John, again, is shouting against these invasive, (laughs) destructive hippos. He's saying the incarnation shouts against this. The cross shouts against this. The resurrection shouts against this. God loves his children. And you can be encouraged. You might be here this morning thinking, I hear that. I've heard it before. But it's so important that the Apostle John is writing it again and again in this letter. You'll hear that sung several times as we continue in 1 John. Because they needed to hear it again and again. This is a scholar named David Jackman. John addresses his readers again as beloved ones. John is wanting us to grasp how radically different from all other sorts of love God's agape really is. It is meant to take our breath away, to startle and amaze us so that we are left gasping, what sort of love is this? The word John uses in Greek originally meant of what country? It is a word that expresses surprise in encountering something foreign, something we are not used to. Of what country? How many of you ever traveled to a foreign country before? Let's put, put your hands way up. Keep them up for a sec. How many of you ever had a food there that was like, of what country? I've never tasted something this good. Or an experience there that was so great, never had an experience like that. Or went and saw something that you'd never seen before. Me too, it's such a joy. Our kids, we've had the privilege of being other countries. And you, they go, we go back to those stories over dinner and over lunch and in cars because they still think about it. Of what country was this like? This is what's happening here. John is saying the love you're experiencing from your father, the love God has for you, your identity rooted in God's love for you is of what country? Again, what if we use that in our week this week? Someone said, where are you from? And you said, well, I'm from God's country. I'm from heaven. You'd be looked at weird. I get it. But it's who you are. It's, it's, it's not me telling you. It's literally who you are. All I'm doing is reminding you of who you are. That's all John is doing. It's astounding news. God calls me beloved. So that's the first thing. Agapatoi, beloved children. That's you and me. Second then, in light of this identity, John is calling us to behave, and again, this is another verse he sung before, to behave like we are from that father who loves us and from that country where God loves and spills forth love through his son and to be like our brother Jesus. What does God call Jesus when he's baptized? 
with John the Baptist. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What did God, through John, just call you? You are my beloved son or daughter. That means the way God sees Jesus is the way he sees you. I want you to think about your parents for a second, okay? Some of you have parents in this room. Don't look at them, but think about them for a second. And make a brief, brief list in your head of distinctive things they have or traits, right? So either their character or how they look, something about your mom or dad. And then how many of you have some of those character traits or looks like your mom and dad? Raise your hand. Anybody in here look like a parent? Maybe if we played, anybody ever played, remember when you were a kid, the matching game, right? You played with your kids, like they'd have two things you'd have to match up. How many of you think if we sent the kids out of the room, we could bring them back in and you could match them to their parents here in the room? Some of them you couldn't. There's some of us, like there's a couple kids that look like me and our family and then another who looks like his mom. So depending on what kid, you probably couldn't play the matching game with my kids. But for sure there's likeness. And I'm like my folks. My folks both were teachers. My folks love broad Music, real, real wide ranges of music. My both folks are both pretty athletic. But I look like a little bit of both my mom and dad. Likeness is the proof of relationship. That's what we believe in families. Likeness, we probably many of you have friends where it's like the eyes. If you took the eyes, you could line up. These are all the Johnsons. There's like eight different kids, but the eyes are all the same. Or they're all really, really tall. Right? Or maybe they're all particularly interested in one thing or the way they argue is a particular way. Likeness is the proof of relationship. This is a scholar named Craig Keener. It was an ancient commonplace that children inherited the natures of their fathers and we would say, of course, fathers and mothers. That kids inherited the natures. And what we believe is that's true spiritually too, not just physically. Spiritually. We can't avoid being like our physical mom and dad, and we can't avoid, as we're in relationship with this God who calls us his beloved children, being like our father, Eva. Likeness is, again, the proof of the relationship, and that's what John is, is inviting these men and women and children listening to this letter to be. Hey, you're like the father. You are the father's children. And he's actually teasing out really what it means to be either their sons and daughters of the devil or sons and daughters of God. He's that stark in his descriptions. There are those who do right and those who keep on sinning. There are those who live in Christ and those who don't. Those who do not continue to sin and those who love their brothers and sisters. And you can see how that flows, right? This is who I am, therefore this is how I behave. I'm from another country. I'm loved by God from another country, so I'm gonna live like I'm from that country. John is getting down to the bone. The heretics are, are false about our identity and then that's playing out by, in false living. Pablo Escobar was false about his identity. He thought he was a zookeeper who could bring hippos to Colombia and instead they're destroying Colombia. Who you are in Jesus is who you are and when we let in false hippos, guess what happens? They will terrorize the tropical valley of your soul. And John loves us so much, he wrote a letter and told people to take it town to town 
And then people have guarded it and passed it down so you and I can sit here this morning and listen and read. The word that John uses to describe that behavior is righteousness. And we talked about righteousness a few years ago when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. And the easiest way to understand righteousness is just right relationships. If you remember then, we looked at how sin breaks four ways. It breaks my relationship to God. It breaks my relationship to myself. It breaks my relationship to you. And then it breaks my relationship to creation in the world. And what living like God's people, living like from another country, means for us as God's beloved children is we live in right relationship. We pursue right relationship to God. We begin to understand who we are and ourselves. We pursue right relationship with others. And then we pursue right relationship with the world. That right relationship, as John has said in the first couple of chapters, is sacrificial love. Other-centered, Christ-like, active love on the behalf of others. So as we wrap up, I just want to ask you a couple quick questions before I pray. Some of you may be here this morning and feel like either A, never, or B, right now, you have never known or experienced the fact, again, the fact, that you are God's beloved child. Some of you may be the situations you're in are drowning out that good news. Some of you may have never given your life to Jesus. Some of you may be so tired and worn that you can't imagine it or you've done things that none of us know about that you think if, if we knew or God knew, you wouldn't be seen that way. That's not true. One, God already knows. Two, guess what? Just take a look around the room. Everybody here is a sinner. So when... In a minute, when I pray, I'm gonna pray and ask God to, to demonstrate, to, to show to you, everybody here, but particularly if you have that ache and gap, that you are God's beloved child. And I'm gonna ask you to be a little bold. If you would particularly this morning like to, to know in a fresh way that God loves you that way, we're gonna all close our eyes, so no one's gonna see you do this, but would you just hold your hands like this so that you could say to God, Lord, please fill my life with a reminder of how much you love me. So I'm asking you to be bold. It's bold. No one's gonna peek, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to do that. And then secondly, I'm gonna ask you to think again as we have a couple times this week because John keeps singing the same chorus, to where's a place this week it might be hard for you to love somebody? Because it's one thing to say, I wanna experience that I'm from another country. It's a whole nother thing to think, I wanna demonstrate to you that God loves you like you're from another country, his country as well. Or somebody at work, somebody you know that doesn't know Jesus or is threatened by Jesus and takes it out on you. So we're gonna pray two ways. I'm gonna pray first that you would know that yourself. And then first it may be God, and you could just stay holding, that God would give you maybe somebody this week that you would express that to, maybe even give you a way to do it. Some of us are gonna be really active, so we're gonna, at the end of the service together, we're gonna to send out almost 80 people from this church and from our Chilean friends. They're gonna line up here right before we dismiss, and we're gonna pray for them as they go to West Virginia. So they're, they've got active looks, like pretty easy, but the rest of us, you know what? You're all gonna come in contact with people, not just them, and have a chance to demonstrate to them, I belong to a father who calls me his beloved child. Let's pray.
Dear God, I confess that it is difficult for me often to know that I'm your beloved child. It's a lot easier to study it and even to tell others about it than to know it myself. And I bet that's true for many of us here. I thank you for the men and women in this room. And I thank you, Lord, that you know them in ways that we never could. And you are delighted with them. If any of them are carrying a burden about something they've done or thought or even something that may have happened to them, may they offer that to you. May they be able in a few minutes when we confess our sins, be able to leave that with you. And Lord, again, we, we cup our hands and know that we would like to be full and overflowing with the awareness of how much you love us. John, John sure seems to think it's super important for us because he keeps reminding us. He's gonna call us children and beloved children again and again in this letter. So we would like to know it the way he knows it. Would you please particularly fill up anybody here who does not know their belovedness with you this morning? And then, Lord, as we go out in a little bit, we do want to bear witness to the Father who loves us. We would like for our likeness to be the proof of our relationship with you, that we would look like you and like Jesus So perhaps even now, give us insight into people that might be really frustrating. People might have been on our mind as we came to church this morning or a place at work or at home where we are gonna be this week that you would give us the energy to love. We do particularly ask your covering over the men and women who are headed to West Virginia and all the ways they'll have chances to do this, but they've already really given out and spent lots of time and energy and heart, mind and body to love this past week. And so we pray you'd fill them in a unique way to go and do it again in West Virginia together. We offer ourselves to you. We thank you that you love John so much that you called him the disciple you loved and that he loved you so much that he wanted your people to know just who they really are. In your holy name, amen. Is there?